So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We st- we've been in this series, Godonomics, but we started to talk about tithings and the specifics of tithing. And I know this is kind of becomes a hot-button topic. And, and the reality is, guys, is when we look and break this down, is God after your money? The answer is no. He's after your heart, right? He wants your heart. That's the end-all, be-all. If he has your heart, will he have your money? Absolutely. We'll be so focused on the things of God and the work of the ministry that we don't care about this other stuff. Now, is money a problem? No. It can be. It can become a problem. So can anything else in this life? Anything else. Anything can become a problem in our life. We always say the term idols. You know, that's an idol or football is an idol or something like that. The only way it's an idol is if you're literally bowing down and worshiping it. Okay? Now, are there people that do that? Probably. I mean, you guys remember when the Cowboys used to be good and like everybody, yeah, I know it's been a long time. You got to go way back. Okay. But, but there was a time where, I mean, there were people that asked Tom Landry into their hearts, just what happened. You know, it was just, that was the way it was. So yeah, there are people that take it too far, but we can do that with just about anything. We become so obsessed with things that we, they take the forefront. That doesn't make them an idol in our lives, but it is a problem because it's a distraction. Finances when it comes to things of money, can become an obsession because all we do our entire lives, we are trained from the moment that we start our education. You've got to go to school and get a good education. You've got to get good grades. You've got to get good grades in, in high school so that you can go to a good college, so that you can go afterwards and go get you a good job so you can make as much money as possible. And in making as much money as possible, you need to invest that money wisely and do things with it so you can live the American dream. So that you can live this life that only other people can dream of. And that we can have everything that we've ever wanted. Our entire existence in the United States is based off of this premise. And you will notice that the things of God are the exact opposite of that. That while it is not wrong to have money, to work hard, to get a good education, to invest wisely and have lots of things. It's when your heart is in the things. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We have to ask ourselves every single week when we come together, what is it that we are treasuring? Where is our heart at? It's not just what goes in the box in the back. It's like, what are we willing to do for God? What are we willing to give up? What are we willing to sacrifice for Him? And we all say this stuff like, oh, I would be willing to lay down my life for God. And that's great. We should be willing to do that. People around the world do that every day. They just showed a movie Wednesday night, you wouldn't saw it, where people were not willing to sacrifice their faith for their lives and they stood up for what was right. But the reality is, is we don't need to be just willing to die for God. We have got to start living for Him. Right here, right now, becoming a living sacrifice. And it starts with what we do. And the easiest way to do this is by being obedient to what God says on every subject. Not in a legalistic way. What we saw, and as we go through this, is number one, are we required to tithe? We're not required to do anything. You can give, not give. It makes no difference to me. It should make a difference for you because God is after your heart. You can tell where people are based off of what they give. Are they putting their faith and hope in God or not? And I will give you examples in in the weeks to come of, of stories that I've been told, stories that I have lived. 
and things like that to give you a testimony that this isn't just hyperbole that I'm throwing out there at you. These are real life examples of this, of how tithing works. When we look at tithing, let's, let's start in Leviticus chapter 27. We read this last week. I want to show you this again. It says, and all the tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd of the flock, of whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. If he exchange it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. There's a lot of things going on there. We're going to explain this a little more in depth. But what do we see here? Number one, the tithing was presumed. In other words, it wasn't like, okay, guys, let me introduce you to this new concept. I know you've just come out of Egypt. Leviticus is kind of laying out the law. And I know you've never heard of these things before or done these things. But now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to give 10% back. It's going to go back to the temple. That's going to pay for the Levites and all of them. And the sacrifices that you bring in will feed them and take care of them. Here it is presumed, it is, it is it's expected. Okay, the tithe is going to come here. He didn't have to explain what the tithe was, did he? He heard that people knew. Why? Because this wasn't something that came to be just out of the law. This had been around for a very long time. Remember that Abraham brought a tithe of the increase to Melchizedek. 500 years before the law was put in place. We saw the same thing with Jacob 400 years before the law was in place. You can see these ideas. In fact, you're going to see it again today. So here's what we know. When we remember when we looked at tithing. What is tithing? It is a tenth. When you see the number 10 used in Scripture, it is always, and I should say always, more often than not associated with testing. It's a test. In Malachi, we saw test me in this and see if I will not. We have a two-way test. So the tithing is testing. Another thing is, is that the tithe is holy. What does holy mean? It is set apart. It is consecrated. And the third thing we saw is who does the tithe belong to? It belongs to God. It is not ours. So he gives us 100% and be, uh, we are required to bring back 90, or excuse me, 10 we keep the night. He lets us keep the 90%. Now, I know antennas start going up and people are like, well, I don't know. I can't give 10%. You know, that's, that's too much out of my budget. Let me ask you something, okay? Think about it this way. And I know this is tough. And I know it's a hard thing to put into practice because we all, we use numbers. We think about it uh, just like it was. But if I loaned somebody, if I gave Kyle $100, I said, all that I ask, Kyle, out of this $100 is 10 of that comes back to whomever, whomever I chose, okay? What is Kyle's responsibility in that? She's getting 90 out of the 100. She gets to keep that. That's awesome, right? It's free money. Yay! Go team. But if she, she brings back 10 the first time, and then the next time she brings back 8, oh, I'm sorry, I was driving down the road, I needed a Diet Coke, right? That's a total Kyle move. That would happen in real life, Okay? Okay, if you know her, at 9-11, every Sunday morning, she cracks open a Diet Coke, just so you know. And that's what, number three or four of the day already. Yep, so, so listen, it's, it, we, we've thought about adding Diet Coke to our communion elements. We haven't gone there yet. We're praying about it. Okay, anyway. But, but then the next week, she said, oh, you know, instead of bringing the, the 10, she's like, well, I've only brought six because, you know, I wanted to do whatever. What's happening there? It was very clear in the instruction of how this should go about. Is she stealing from the promise? Absolutely. 
at what point would the hand of God be lifted from that because I can no longer trust you with what I've asked you to do, right? What is God doing here? It's that. It belongs to him. That's what we saw last week. Look at this again in Deuteronomy 26. And it shall be that when you come into the land, so they're getting ready to go into the promised land, which the Lord your God is giving you. Who gave them the land? God. It's as an inheritance that you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land, and the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. Pause. Okay. Who gave them the land? In order to give them the land, who did the land have to belong to? God. I'm giving you this land. And when you plant that garden or that crop or whatever, who causes that to grow? Have you ever met a farmer that stood out in the ground and just like, please corn, please grow. Could you please grow? No. God has enabled this earth to grow things naturally. So who causes it? God. So he gave you the land. The seed of which you planted comes from him because it came from that land. Thus, all you need to do is when that harvest comes, of the first part, you bring back what? The tithe. There's a purpose there. Let's go on. When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the strangers, the fatherless, and the widow, so that you may eat within your gates and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house, and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. According to all your commandments which you have commanded me, I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. Again, bring it the holy tithe the set-apart portion that belongs to God. So let's jump back into Malachi, verse three, chapter 3, verse 6. I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Israel. Yet from the days of your fathers you have, not, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Now what is an ordinance? As we said last week, it is the ordinary behavior. You've gone away from the things that you were supposed to have been doing. The expectation, if you will. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You have cursed, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. What do we have going on here? We have a promise of God. Listen, you guys have gotten away from my ordinance, all the things that you should be doing. And you say, well, will a man rob God? How have we robbed you, God, in tithes and in offerings? How in tithes? The tithe belonged to God. But then he makes a statement. Switch it around. Bring it back and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you don't have room to receive it. Again, I said this last week, and I'm saying it again. That windows of heaven is used one other place, and it is in Genesis chapter 6 where the windows of heaven were opened up and the earth was flooded, that it was above the highest mountain. There's an analogy going on. It was more than they could handle. It is flooding you. He's saying, test me in this. See if I will not. You see, this is what's going on here. But the one thing that we didn't get into last week that I want to get into this week 
is we have tithing, okay? We understand what tithing is. It's the 10%. It's the principle. We know who it belongs to. We know that it's to be consecrated and set apart because it's holy. But maybe you've heard of the term called first fruits, a first fruits offering. And you'll hear these guys, you'll hear them on TV, you know, we'll get into some of this stuff later, but, but you know, like, oh, you need to send in your first fruit offering of $37.45 for this, that, or the other. They'll make up some reason and throw abstract numbers around and whatever. But what is the first fruit offering? And is it and the tithe the same thing? Well, let's look at Scripture. But before we do that, I want to go to the first example of giving that we have. This is hotly debated in Scripture of what is going on. And it gets a lot of confusion, and I think it's pretty clear, but I'm gonna, we're going to read it today, and then we're going to explain it later. In Genesis chapter 4, we have the story of Cain and Abel. We know what happens. Cain brings an offering, Abel brings an offering, God accepts Abel's offering, Cain gets ticked off, and he kills his brother, which is most definitely the appropriate response in any time that your brother does something to you that you don't like. So let's start in chapter one, 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground of the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock of their, and their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell, and then later on he kills him. What's going on here? Most of the time that you hear, the explanation that is given is the fact that, that it was because that Cain did not bring something that required blood. That's what they say, okay? Now, we'll get there in a minute, but I'm telling you this, this principle of first fruits has something to do with this here, and that is the reason that this able, or the offering of Cain was not accepted. So what is first fruits? When we think about first fruits, obviously the word first should jump out to you. We saw when we read these other passages that we bring the tithe, the first of our increase, that is the principle of first fruits. Okay? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, let's stop and look at this for a minute. This is Proverbs. This is considered wisdom literature, words to live by. This is the fortune cookies of the Bible time. Okay? You go to the Chinese restaurant, you open it up, and it gives you something, and everybody reads them, and nobody eats the cookies because they're disgusting. And then we look at the back to see what lottery numbers we should play, right? That's how we do this. But it says, honor the Lord with your possessions. What is a possession? Anything you possess. Very clear. So we should honor the Lord with everything. Fair enough? Is there anything you have that is not yours? Well, maybe if you borrowed it, and then you don't have to honor the Lord with that. All right? But if it's yours, you honor God with it. And with the first fruits of all your increase. So now we're talking about the stuff that you have, and now the stuff that is increased, which becomes stuff that you have, and then you increase some more. You see how we honor the Lord with everything. Okay. Well, what happens? Why do we do this? Well, so that your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. So in other words, that when you give this away, so to speak, then more comes to you. Does that sound like the way of the world? Of course not. What are we taught? We've got to keep everything. Because if we just give it away, then we don't have it. We can't increase from that. So we have a, a if you will, a yin and a yang going on. The antithesis of the world is always the things of God. 
Give and it'll be given to you. Right? Love your enemies. They teach you that? No. What do they tell you? Get even. It's the ways of the world. Leviticus chapter 27, verse uh, 19. The first fruits... uh, First of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Okay? The first of the first fruits. Bring it into the house. There was other things that were going on there, but you bring this stuff in. The first of the first fruits of your land you should bring into the house of the Lord your God. So we've got honor the Lord with your possession, with the first fruit of all your increase, and the first of the first fruits you bring into the house of the Lord your God. Now, what does it tell us to do with tithes? Tells us the exact same thing. Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. Okay? Didn't uh, Proverbs just tell us the same thing? To bring that in and all of your increase? We bring the tithe of all of our increase. Does it sound like tithing and first fruits are one and the same? Because the commandment is the exact same. Is a tithe separate from the first fruits? It's not. Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Where did it just tell us before in Leviticus to bring the first fruits to? The house of the Lord. The storehouse was the house of the Lord. That there may be food in my house. Try me in that on this. Says the Lord, if I will not pour out for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. You see, tithing is the specific portion of the first fruit. They are not separate. Tithing gives us the percentage, if you will. The principle of first fruits covers everything, and tithing drills down into that. So if I just said bring the first of what you got, technically, if I don't put a number on that or quantify it, if we were putting it in corn, what would be the first of the harvest? The very first kernel in which you harvested. I'm good. But they quantify that with a number, right? The 10%. You guys follow me with that? Some of you guys are looking confused. So if, if I had 100 head of cattle, I own them. I honor the Lord with my possession. And I have 10 baby calves. The first one born is the first fruit. That's the 10%. Now, if you had 11, don't go cut one into pieces and bring it in. That doesn't make any sense. Okay? But you guys see what I'm saying. The first of the first fruits is the tithe. It is quantifying. It is putting a figure on it. We have to understand that. So, we see that the tithe belongs to God. It is the first fruits. Because we're going somewhere with this. I want you to see this. Because I know what you're thinking. Like, okay, that's all well and good. Why does it matter? Just stay with me. Okay, now let's look at Exodus chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Now think about that. First of all, let's break this down. What does the word consecrate mean? I have the definition up here. This is used in the Hebrew. It breaks it down. You can see consecration. This, uh, I think my battery's died. Dedication, to be full, fulfilled, to be holy, removed from common use, subject to special treatment, to be full, to be filled, to consecrate as a priest, to devote. What did it tell us to consecrate? The firstborn. Not just firstborn animal. Firstborn, period. So what does that mean? Now think about this in tithing. With the firstborn animal, what did they do? They would take it to the priest. It would be sacrificed. 
So what do you do with the firstborn child? Not that. Okay? Jump down to verse 11. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that opened the womb, that is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. Now before I read on, let's think about this for a minute. What does the word redeem mean? Well, I've got, the, again, the definition here. When we see redeem, it means to, be re, re, uh, to buy out, to be ransomed. These are all the different words that are used here in the Hebrew language. To repurchase, um, to deliver. All of these different things here. So, what's happening here is that the firstborn animal you bring to the Lord. But if it's a donkey, then you redeem it with what? A lamb, okay? Let's go on. So it shall be when your son asks you in, in the times to come, saying, What is this that you shall say to him, By the strength of the hand of the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all males that opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons, I redeem. Now, so he's making an Exodus comparison here. So let's go back. In the story of Exodus, the tenth and final plague, the testing of Pharaoh's heart, it was said that the angel of death is going to come. And you, he's going to come, he's going to kill all firstborn. Okay? And I have seen all sorts of tri uh, natural explanations of this. Uh, one of which was that a poisonous gas was released from the lake that was nearby and came through and it killed all the firstborn. Because apparently the secondborn were inoculated to this. Okay? Anyway. All the firstborn were going to be killed of both man and animal. Did that include the Israelites? Absolutely. But how would the angel of death pass over them? They would take a spotless and perfect lamb, and they would sacrifice it, and then they had to do what? Apply the blood of the lamb to the doorpost. It wasn't just kill the lamb, and it wasn't just eat the lamb. If they did not apply the blood, then that was going to happen to them. So what is happening here? That when the firstborn came out, it either had to be sacrificed and consecrated to God, or it had to be redeemed. You see how that works? You guys see what's going on? What did the Lord do in Exodus? He redeemed all the Israelites who sacrificed the lamb and applied the blood. It always took a lamb. It was the redemption of mankind. You see, Pharaoh's heart was stubborn, and he didn't want to let him go. So God made a way... And he said, here's how we're going to do this. But there's always pictures that's going on. And some of y'all are smirking at me right now because I think you see where I'm going with this. Because when we talk about consecration and redemption and the blood of the Lamb, what does that sound like to you? It sounds like Jesus. Now, let's go back to Genesis chapter 4 and look at verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So you got a, a, a guy that's planting, you got a guy with, with animals. And in the process of time, it came to pass... 
that Cain brought an offering. You could leave that other part out. Now, if in the process of time, is that first? No. It's when I get around to it. Or let me see how much I have and see if there's any extra that I can bring to you, Lord. In the process of time, but look at the distinction here. But Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. What does that mean? The best, right? Around here, we think of fat as a bad thing. Back then, it was good. And, and trust me, you want some fat on those steaks that you eat. So what did Cain do? He brought, in the process of a time, he brought an offering. But Abel brought the firstborn and his best. You see the distinction here? It's not a matter of the blood part. It's how you brought, because there were grain offerings that were brought in, in, in the Levitical law. So it can't just be the blood. It's the fact that this first fruit concept was back in the very beginning. The, you guys following me? The very beginning. You see, God is painting a picture. Is that we bring back to God what belongs to Him with the first that we have and the best but the 90% has his hand upon it that we can increase that our barns are overflowing because we can't handle it and what does that do enable us to give more and grow more and give more and grow more how does the world teach us we've got to get more and keep more and we got to go and get more and keep more you see, God's ways are the antithesis of the world. We have to trust God with the first fruits that we have. And that is why we tithe. Now, we are talking about money. And I know some people are going to jump in like, yeah, that makes sense. And God even says, test me in this. See if I don't, you know, do this. I know there are churches, and I hate this, but they'll run a 90-day tithing challenge. You pay your tithes for 90 days. And if you don't see an increase... Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back? I'm not kidding. They will give you back your money. We have missed the entire point. Because the point isn't the increase. What is God after? Our hearts. When the Israelites were getting ready to go across the river, when Moses is getting ready to die, he said, listen, you guys are keeping the commandments. But your heart is far from the Lord. You need to circumcise your heart. You're going to go over into this land. And there's going to be houses that you didn't build and, and fields that are, that are plowed that you did not plow. And there are going to be wells that are dug. And when you get there, don't forget who has given you this land. And what do we do? We do that very thing. We forget who has increased us. Why do you think America is so prosperous? Why do you think that more million, 85% of millionaires in America are first-time millionaires every year in America? We always talk about old money. Oh, yeah, they had it, or they did it on the backs of slaves, and that's how they got it. 85% of new millionaires are first-time millionaires every single year in America. It's because this country, founded on biblical principles, understood the principle of giving, the sowing and reaping that goes along. But there's more to this. Why does God care? Why is this such a big deal to us? And why is it such a big deal to Him? I mean, there's a lot of emphasis. There's over 2,000 verses talking about money. But is money really at the root of what we're talking about? It's not. It's our heart. But what is God's heart? 
In other words, why does God care so much about what I do with my money and, and whatnot and, and that he puts all of these stipulations in place and things like that? Well, think about this for a minute. What was Jesus? The Lamb of God, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. It says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ in his, at his coming. You think that is just colorful language that's being used by Paul here? Or do you think there's something more to this first fruit? When did Jesus die? At Passover. When was he put in the grave? Unleavened bread. When was he raised? The festival of first fruits. Why did he start that way back when? Why did he not respect Cain's offering? It wasn't the first. It wasn't the best. What did God send? He sent his only begotten son. And it was his best. He brought both to the world for whom? Us. You see, when we bring our tithes and our first fruits offering to God, we are doing the same thing that God did for us. Look at Romans 11. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. You guys, we are the righteousness of God in Christ because of Him. You could say it like this is that Jesus was the first fruit given on our behalf. Why is this such a big deal to God? For that very reason. Because He did the exact same thing that He asked of us. Our firstborn son should be consecrated to the Lord. We don't sacrifice animals and we don't do that kind of thing. But this is why it's there. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. There's that word redeemed again. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers, uh, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. He was the first fruit offering on our, without spot, without blemish. Remember what it had to be. That first fruit, when they brought that Passover lamb, had to be without spot and without blemish sacrificed before God, given as holy, set apart, and consecrated. Every aspect of that describes Jesus to the T. You guys seeing this? This is why it's such a big deal to God. Because the one thing that can consume us is the chasing of stuff. You cannot serve God and mammon, right? The mammon being the Assyrian God of wealth, who makes promises Remember what the enemy said in Matthew chapter 4 to Jesus, like, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll, I'll give you everything you see, all the kingdoms. And Jesus says, get away from me. We worship the God and him alone. You see, he made a promise that he really couldn't keep. Jesus didn't fall for it. He knew exactly what to do. 
Mammon makes promises that only God can keep. And one of those promises is that you don't need to go through Jesus to get to heaven. We hear it all the time. All you got to do is just believe that there's a God. That's because it doesn't matter who you worship. It doesn't matter what you call that God. If you're a good person, you'll get to heaven. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You guys, he was given on our behalf as a first fruit offering for us. That is why this is such a big deal to God. You guys seeing this? I'm not up here just for my health. I'm not up here to say this. I'm not up here trying to get money out of you. I want to make that very clear, okay? I'm doing this for you guys. To be honest with you, as I've said before, this church is very giving. We have no budget issues. Everything works out. You guys give so faithfully. If there's a need, you guys help meet it. And I, I thank you for that because there are churches around the country that are not in that situation. But we're in a great position. And God's been faithful to this church. And for those of you that made it up from the very beginning and have gone through the highs and the lows and all of that, that have been with it, that never lost sight of the reason this church was put together in the first place. But is our heart where it needs to be? Not just with finances, not just with giving. Are we truly consecrating ourselves to God? Have we set aside everything for Him? Because there are a lot of people here, guys, that don't know anything about Jesus. Yeah, they've heard of Him. These are our neighbors and the people we work with and, or maybe go to school with or whatever. When are we going to match the intensity that God did on our behalf? When are we going to start to live our lives in a way that is a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing and acceptable before Him? Jesus, the first fruit, paid the price for us. We are washed in that blood, sanctified, and now when God sees us, He sees Jesus through us because it's the lens of which it worked, that mediator of that covenant. There's a whole lot of Old Testament stuff that's going on. The bottom line is this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And all I ask you to do is look in the mirror and say, where is my treasure? What is consuming my time and resources? And is it the things of God?